that sound good? That sounds perfect. Great. Um, How okay. close do you sit to your mic? Is this close? Too close? How do you know? You're not wearing headphones, so you wouldn't really know. Yeah, I mean, but I'm usually close. this is what I do. Oh, yeah. is that true? Is that like a voiceover thing? Mm-hmm. Is it like this, or is it just the... F- I mean, it's it's so rough. Just visually description, Chris is taking his fist and sticking his thumb out of it. It's like I'm from Hawaii doing that. Is that like, really like loose. a professional thing yeah. in the business? Yeah. How do you know that? Just because uh, I've seen other people do why it. Why other people I guess what it. I mean by how do you know that is why didn't you ever tell me that before? Oh, I because I, I kind of like what you're doing. I like uh, laughing okay. at you. <laughs> laughing at my over-modulated voice. But it's also funny. Uh, I think it was when we were watching uh, Star is Born, and I was thinking like, wow, he's like sucking on that mic when he's singing. But I guess uh, not you. Oh, I thought you meant uh, me. Jeff Bridges. But I guess that's a different kind of microphone. Use of mic. Singing. Singing. It's very sure. different than, than a Well, don't you sing? No. Oh, God, no. No. I, mean, I have. You're not a triple threat. I am a triple threat. It's just the threats are not are singing. Not, they're not singing. <laughs> Singing's not one of them. Okay. Nor is dancing. Uh, and even my acting isn't as threatening as it used to be. <laughs> well, let's not pull the curtain too soon. I mean, that's true. There's not a lot of middle aged men. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the theater. That is very true. There's so if you a stay lot around, you're going to get a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but it's just Basically, surviving Basically, another then. 20, 25 years, you'll be really busy. All right. Will you read the damn thing even already? That. All right. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Full Cast and Crew, a podcast for all of us who don't feel we have podcasts like it in our feeds. Each – oh, shoot. Wow. <laughs> Full Casting Crew is a podcast for all of us who don't feel we have podcasts like it in our feeds. Each week, we choose only the finest, most delicately crafted feature films and gently, lovingly even, disassemble it using the Full Casting Crew section of its IMDb page as a blueprint and, perhaps quixotically, attempt to isolate and understand the alchemical reactions which provide the spark, the miracle that marks the gap between the entertaining and the sublime. Is it over? Okay. No, I just I keep going. I mean, don't, don't you let can me. follow Sublime. That's or Quixotic, for that matter. Wow. Uh, is this the part where I read the thing about which movie we're going to talk exactly. about? Now, which which uh, did I describe it? Which finest, delicately crafted feature film did we choose this week? Well, Chris, this week we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, which tells the story of the British rock band Queen and particularly focuses on the self-invention and life story of lead singer Freddie Mercury. Born Farak Balsara to Parsi emigre parents. Is emigre the proper word or immigrant? I think uh, emigre. Emigre. What's the difference between an emigre and an immigrant? I think uh, it's coming and going. Like an emigre is someone who emigrates. Leaves. Leaves, leaves a place. An emigre is. Yeah. And an immigrant is someone who's coming. Is so coming, you can yes. be both. So then yeah. you, you are both. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody features crowd-pleasing anthemic songs, lots of 1970s wig work, and a thoroughly involved and meticulously crafted lead performance from Rami Malek. It also has a tortured backstory as a production, uh, with the studio firing director Brian Singer with only two weeks left in the shoot, although he does remain the credited director. Before we get to that, though, Chris, yes. I have some fan reactions that I'd like to share with you about our podcast. Oh, yeah, great. Yes. Do you have any yourself? Uh, not fans? that I want to share. Fans? <laughs> um, not, no fans. I definitely have people who've got constructive criticism. I That's found, I think you're I'm finding this too, by. that amongst our friends, right, the first wave that you get, like episode one, is like, hey, that's so cool. Congratulations. Now that we're like five episodes in, it's kind of like I've received some fairly detailed texts explaining to me exactly where 
we've gone wrong. And, and I think we should start saving those because I think they're funny. Fantastic. Because our Twitter account now works. I'm it does. Ask Twitter account is up, yes. Well, well, what do you got? What do okay. you got to- uh... Well, I will start with a positive one. <clears throat> Stacy writes, hey, just wanted to let you know that I'm totally enjoying the Cast and Crew podcast. It's smart, insightful, and funny. I'm entertained and feel somewhat learned after listening. Kudos. That's great. Isn't that that's great? That's very nice. Yeah, well, that's the end of the nice, because <laughs> then uh, KC writes, first, I am enjoying the podcast. That's a good, that sounds a good. good start, right? Second, this is where it takes a little bit of a I turn. See. Please refrain from using the words, quote unquote, authentic or quote unquote, authenticity on the podcast for the next several months. <laughs> Quota was surpassed in A Star is Born. Third, your partner needs to see more movies. That was directed at you. Yeah, no, yeah. oh, that was- <laughs> yeah. I've seen plenty of movies. I just have seen very different movies. That's your you. line. That's what Chris always says. He says, I've and seen plenty of movies. No, and, <laughs> no but I think, true. I think what Casey is getting at, Chris, is that I think amongst people in our generation, and I'm going to I'm going to include you in my generation, sure. even though you're a generation behind me, I think that there is a set of films, movies that it's expected that you're that you've seen and that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And these include many widely known feature films, which you do not seem to have seen. That's all. Well, like- Like, like what, what you're going to say, yeah. as, which is the answer of all people put on the back foot with a well, stinging well, comment well, that has the element of truth. I mean, I can certainly assert, because I, you know, I can think of some of the things that I've said, no, I haven't seen, but like Moneyball. But, you know, it's a relatively new film. And to me, it does not seem like it's so canonical. I know it, it did make quite a big splash five years ago Chris, or whenever it Chris, was. if they don't like- the use of authenticity. How do you think they feel about canonical? Okay. <laughs> Let's not is, get to, you know, some other word they don't want to hear. <laughs> well, they, whatever other word can describe those films. <laughs> I'm just, listen, <laughs> I just think you should take the criticism. Don't, it doesn't require a response. It's just, oh, okay. it's <laughs> just like when the, there's when just something about the way you looked at me when, and, uh, well, no, silent I mean, that when the sounded like, and then when the listeners give feedback, well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. you know, thank you, Casey. Uh, for um, I mean, encouraging. She did, she did say first, <laughs> I'm enjoying the podcast. Yeah. And then the next, the second and the third things were criticisms. So fair enough. I don't even know they're, you know, they're very gentle criticisms. Well, if you knew KC. I, <laughs> I, edited, it, I edited it a little bit. Uh, Sarah writes into the podcast, quote, after listening to the A Star is Born episode, I am uninterested in seeing the movie. Good. Thanks for saving me. <laughs> The handsome moderators used the word authentic too many times and talked each other into liking it more over the course of the podcast, end quote. You're listening. You're taking this in. I see. You're, yeah. I don't think we talked each other into liking it more. I mean, I think you, at the end of the podcast, again, just referring to a Star is Born yeah. podcast, you did make some... You did make some comments about sort of like, well, now that you've said these things, I do, you know, I did like it more. Like you kind of changed your opinion, it's which, so which indicates a was, certain spinelessness. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. It or doesn't. an openness. That's it another, another probably word. A closer word. But what I actually said was it's probably a better movie than I gave it credit for, uh, but I'll never okay. watch it again. Right. Meaning that I think some of the subtleties that you pointed out, even though they didn't hit me at the time, sure. I at least give it credit for having sure. something to say, even if it didn't uh, land for me. I also think, much. interestingly, regarding A Star is Born, it's kind of over. Yeah. Like in the popular culture, like now, the moment that we're taping this, at least in terms of social media, the movie everyone's talking about is Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. 
a few weeks ago, the movie everyone was talking about was a Starborn. Now it will come back when award season yeah. begins and all that kind of stuff. But it's just kind of interesting how fast everything moves nowadays. Yeah, like your window is so brief. Not your window. I'm still, I'm <laughs> no, still I gotcha. liking I gotcha. you in this spot. Okay, so one other. This is a funny one. I have a friend, a, a man, a person that I know, Rob, Robert, on Facebook on a thread where I had referenced the podcast. Uh -huh. And I know that will be shocking to our listeners that you and I reference the podcast on our Facebook pages. I, but we yeah. do, very very rarely. But you have to you have to look home through and find the references. But they're there. But it's worth it if you search. So anyway, I posted a link to the podcast. And my friend Robert, someone I know for many years, he writes, funny stuff. Are those guys on a regular podcast? Who are they? Are they new? Are they famous? Pretty much no mention of them anywhere. End quote. Now, uh, my, he's listening to, he was listening to us, okay? And I kept the thread going with him. I said, oh, yeah, there are a couple new guys, um, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, he said, yeah, they're really funny. He kept going and posting comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally on the Facebook thread, he finally goes, oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> so. Also, uh, if you have to ask, are they famous? They're not. Because if they're famous, you yeah, I don't heard. understand that. Are they famous? What does that mean? Does that matter? I think it's funny to ask, like, are they famous? Like, well, you've never heard of them, so they can't be that famous. But there is, I, I at least understand the impulse of of trying to have some context, though. True. I, you know. Okay, one last one for you. This one, quote, Jason's a genius, end quote. Uh, that came from my Aunt Sheila. I was <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm not here to say yes or no. I'm just look, reporting what the comments were. Look, she you know? is a, a worldly woman in her own right. She is, She's yes. entitled to her, her, to her opinion. Opinion. Listen, Aunt Sheila, if you're listening, thank you. I'm not a genius. Well, no, 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 no. You know, don't, don't you know. Uh, Humility is an important quality, Chris. I suppose. Anyway, keep the comments coming. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and of course, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. You can also email the pod at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. And we will continue to read the best, funniest, most egregiously unfair, and or entertaining comments on a future pod. Chris, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think in the last episode we taped, you gave your comments first. Yes. I'm going to go first. Great. These are my thoughts. It's not a good movie. It's not the movie that Queen and or Freddie Mercury deserve for how fascinating and weird and interesting their stories are. It is a fairly competently assembled biopic, which is a fraught genre to begin with. The hand, especially the rock biopic. Yeah. Like, but once we get into rock and roll and movies about rock and roll and movies about bands, we talked about this with A Star is Born in terms of the playing of the instruments, which I did think they handled very, very well in this movie. Mm -hmm. But it was a very slight movie. It felt, I felt the problems that plagued the production that led to the director being fired. And in reading about the making of the movie, I understand that the members of the band who were executive producers were extremely concerned about having it appeal very broadly to young people. That's why it's PG-13. Right. I mean, right there, a rock and roll movie that's PG-13. It took a lot of liberty with the facts in a way that bothers me personally when I'm dealing with a biopic of any kind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I prefer to have the films adhere as closely to the truth as possible. And in this movie, there are some pretty egregious examples of fudging the narrative in right. order to achieve supposed greater dramatic component. Um, having said all that, Rami Malek is 
fucking amazing in this movie. And it is, his performance is an almost enough to keep you, I mean, it kept me interested all the way through. I understand why this is cited as like a critic-proof success because mm-hmm. the critics don't like the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it made $50 million on its first weekend. Everybody's talking about it. It has two things going for it. It has Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, and it has these songs. Hey, this is Matt the Engineer. So these songs that Jason's speaking of, well, you're not going to hear them in this podcast because we don't have clearance to play them. Here are the guys. To hear them again in this theater as loudly as they're played It's kind of a revelation. I mean, I'm not a huge Queen fan, but hearing the songs again was a real ride that I was happy to go on. Yeah. Even as I found the movie just formulaic and kind of lame. But I was was also moved. I also, I I don't know what's wrong with me lately. I've cried in every movie that I've seen. I cried in this movie. I found I was very moved. When? Remind me when? Oh, I cried. um, I will admit, I got misty at one one point. I cried with the parent stuff. Um, I cried when he was at his house before leaving to go to Wembley Stadium for Live Aid yeah. when he was with his dad. I cried. Um, that was it for me. That was that was the one time that I felt like genuinely I, moved. I found no. the I found the Live Aid performance was was really moving. But again, after the fact, you're aware you're being manipulated because. He didn't actually find out that he had AIDS. He wasn't actually on his death's door just prior to Live Aid. That happened two years after Live mm-hmm, Aid. Mm-hmm. So I was moved in those places, but that's, again, by the performance, I think, of Rami Malek, who I thought was quite good. But the movie's not a good movie. Yeah. I think I agree with with most everything you said. It was a very missed opportunity, and I think not only did it follow the uh, rock biopic um, cliches. Right. It also followed the the singular torture genius cliches. Mm-hmm. You're bloody right I am. There's just been so much of that. Yeah. That no matter how good uh, Rami Malek was, Freddie Mercury to me became reduced to a very kind of generic character. The the signposts of of his journey yeah. were so similar to everything yeah. else. And I don't feel like I got a sense of him or or the actual outrageousness of him as a person or performer. What I got was the advertising saying, he is outrageous. Look at that coat. He yeah. must be. There were moments that I thought were, moments that were really insightful and almost, and beautiful. I, I wanted more about the other guys in the band. Like I think- 100%. A, a story of 100%. this band as they describe themselves instead of actually yes. showing- would have been interesting. It also would have been different because yeah. I think even though there have been other um, rock movies about right. bands themselves, there was something about the way they described their interactions and the difference between him and everybody else who, despite the long hair and as much as they talked about their experimentation, they were all just kind of like normal folks. Yeah. And so I think that that especially, you know, because his homosexuality is is part of the lore, the legend, and of this movie – to see it in contrast to the heteronor- to the heterosexual guys, but that would have been an interesting way to to yeah. show his struggles, uh, as well as to learn a little bit more about them, so that all this talk about it being a family mm-hmm. would have felt real. I can hear already people who just went along for the ride and loved this hour yeah. and forty five minutes in the movie theater, sort of shaming us already for like, oh God, you have to pick everything apart. Can't you just? turn off that part of your brain and just enjoy the movie? And the answer is yes. Now, I had an odd experience. Went to the movie, started. I think they do something very, very smart, which is to kind of tease that final Live Aid performance Mm -hmm. right up front. And I know from the production notes that 
They actually filmed that first. So, you know, I'm into the movie about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. And my thoughts generally were, this is holding my interest, but it's not done very well. He's very good in it. It was kind of in its spell, to be honest. But I left to go to the bathroom. And when I came back, the spell was broken. And I never really mm. got back into it again. It, as an experience of going to the movie with a soda, a popcorn, and some candy, I could have gone on that ride. If I had not gotten up, I might have stayed kind of yeah. with it and thought positively toward it because the guys in the band are generally cast really well. I thought they I were interesting. It's the best casting yeah. ever. Like well, they uh, look in the history of cinema. Yes, they look exactly <laughs> wow. like the real guys. And <laughs> this guy, what was his name, who played Brian May? Uh, that He's actor, great. like yeah. Gwil Gwilin Lee. Stamp to this beat. Come on. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. So what can they do? Imagine thousands of people doing this in unison. Huh? Well, I bought him as a 20-year-old. I bought him as like yeah. a 45-year-old. Like something about his face looked like whatever age you told me he is, I completely believed yeah. it. Uh, and I guess it was also that distinctive hair also. Um, the uh, hair, that, man, but. this is the problem with 70s bi rock biopics. It's like, I can never, you can, it's like you can never have a believable wig for some mm -hmm. reason. Like it's always a wig. Why is that? I thought the guys in the band were so well cast. We can talk about them a little bit more, but it got neutered some. I, I think you can read about it and you can figure out why it got neutered. Like I'm more interested in the Sasha Baron Cohen movie that we didn't get. Mm -hmm. Right, when he was attached to play Freddie Mercury, when David Fincher was circling it, when they wanted to tell probably what would have been, just judging from the output of those two people, something more layered, maybe something mm -hmm. darker, something more rock and roll. Like this was like rock and roll in an Archie comics. And yet, I think the performance is so good. Mm -hmm. I think that what Rami Malek did is so impressive in embodying Freddie Mercury. That held my interest. Yeah. And the, the, the staging of the musical numbers, uh, particularly the last big chunk, which I thought was kind of a cool, bold choice to really almost play that in real time. Yeah. Um, I just watched the Live Aid concert again uh, the other day, which is phenomenal. It gets mm -hmm. cited a lot as one of the greatest live rock and roll performances of all time, and it lives up to the hype. What's almost what, what's most impressive about that to me, and something that when you said I wanted more about the band— these guys were a band. Mm -hmm. So when they make that sound, that the sound of Queen, which on the records to me was always a little overproduced and so many layers of vocals and so many overdubs and so many tracks going on, when you watch them on the Live Aid performance in real life, I'm struck how these guys made that sound. Mm -hmm. And there's a keyboard player who joins them on the Live Aid set, but that's it. I mean, other than that, they're playing the songs and it's a rock and roll band, which I don't, I know Queen is a rock and roll band in my mind, but you think of them as this operatic overblown concept thing sometimes. Yeah. But they were a rock and roll band, an old school bass, drums, guitar, vocalist, rock and roll band. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Chuckler. Chuckler features award-winning original web series from social media's funniest comedians, as well as the best stand-up comedy, parodies, fake commercials, and interviews with your favorite comedy writers and creators. Find us and like us on Facebook. Chuckler. Original comedy. Delivered daily. 
I, I did like how they started started with smile. That to me, my conception of Queen has mo- mostly to do with uh, the Flash Gordon soundtrack. So this idea of them being experimental, having these long, strange things, the layered mm-hmm. sound, that's what I came in sort of thinking about them. And I think that's why the other band members appealed to me so much because it was like, oh, a dentist, an electrician, <laughs> and an astrophysicist. Sure, it makes sense. There's something interesting yeah. about them not being as obviously artsy as, frankly, yeah. as Freddie Mercury right. was. That contrast to me seemed really interesting, just the band playing at the beginning. Yeah. And it's a bar band, and they're you know that to me I or was pub interested rock. They to refer see to it, Chris. Pub rock, excuse me. So on that side of the yeah, pond, it's on pub that side rock. of the pond, it's pub rock. Here it's a bar band. Yeah. Uh, seeing that transformation, like I really wish that that's and yeah. even though it is tough to make one piece of art about another piece of art, finding the shifts in them that were anything other than just. Freddie Mercury deciding, like, we're going to do this now. Now we're going to do this. Uh, With very little kind of motivation, which I thought was not great about the movie. How was that? Higher. Can you go a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Try. Are we done? This is one where I thought the development process, the very fact that Brian May and I forget the name of the other guy, Roger Taylor, I believe. Yeah, Roger Taylor. Were executive producers. Executive producers and shepherding this project and that they wanted to go, like you said, the more accessible route. Which I get. I understand. I mean, my God, you want to introduce the music to a new generation? It's working. And to me, that seems very of a piece of the characters as portrayed here of like, hey, we're just just guys. And frankly, I don't want my... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to awards sure. and all biopic of my band. And I would really love this as many as people as possible could pay for the tickets that go into sure. my pot. Like there's something about that that doesn't seem greedy so much as like, yeah, this is, these are just normal considerations. And so I almost forgive the ease of the project because when I produce my biopic, I am certainly not going to be uh, gunning for David Fincher to like unearth all the dark stuff. No, but when you have someone, and I think one of the revelations of watching the movie and one of the joys of watching the movie is remembering Freddie Mercury and really stopping to pay attention to Freddie Mercury, both as embodied by Rami Malek, but then as I want to do, going after the movie and starting to watch videos of performances, starting to watch interviews with him, and just listening to his that voice, which is insane. I came out thinking, man, Fred, okay, Freddie Mercury is definitely one of the top three front persons in the history of rock and roll. And I can make a really convincing argument that he might be the greatest front person in the history of rock and roll, let alone the songwriting mm-hmm. uh, that he contributed, you know, which is not generally thought of as something that the lead singer might be contributing to oftentimes. Um, and his octave range and his voice, there was some, it, again, it's like stuff that when you start looking, you're like, man, how could you not have that in a movie about this band? Mm-hmm. There's a whole funny thing about how like this opera singer and like some scientists like studied Freddie Mercury's voice huh, because right. it has these qualities that are so rare. His vibrato is apparently so fast that that's like a really rare commodity in a vibrato. Really? Huh. And his, I think he had a three octave range, but he could travel within that range so so quickly and smoothly that it was really a thing worthy of study, this wow. voice. And that's another thing when you watch the, the actual Live Aid tape, you'll be struck by singing live for 20 minutes in front of however many people were there, you know, 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium. It's, it's phenomenal. 
let or, or Brian May's guitar, which is one of the, if not the most famous electric guitars in the history of rock music, the Red Special. That he built himself. He built himself with his dad in 1963-64. The thing still exists. I just watched a video about him showing all about how he made this guitar himself with his father. Now, they replicate it perfectly in the movie, and I've seen some people say, well, they got the guitar right. But I think you got to have a, just have something about, you know, yeah. I built it with my dad. Um, they didn't have anything about the fact that he plays with a sixpence coin as a pick. So that's what that coin was. Yeah, I posted on Facebook a, a teasing photo, and I said, Chris, I'll explain to you the coin, because Brian May famously plays electric guitar using a sixpence coin as a pick, which is ridiculous. I don't know. Do you play guitar at all, Chris? No. No. Okay. The idea of playing it with a fairly thick coin is just ridiculous. Because you want like a, I know a pick, it's plastic usually, right? So yeah, you, you probably flexibility. want some of the flexibility. Yeah, some guitar players like a really stiff pick. However, this is taking it to an entirely different level. And to be able to play the way Brian May can play using a coin is crazy. I mean, it's a little detail, but it's like, it's one of the first things I think about when I think about Brian May. And I'd want a little more of that stuff. Yeah. I thought the casting was really well on the band members. I particularly liked the bass player. I thought they got- <laughs> It's uncanny how much he looks like I, that they do, but, but see, you keep mentioning how much they look. I wasn't really paying attention to that. I'm just thinking how, how interesting and unique they got the different personalities of the, of the bandmates. You know what well, I mean? Like, I thought they did that. They being the actors, the, right? The actors. Maybe that's what I'm responding to as well, besides the fact that they looked like them. But they did feel like the performances were alive, which is, I guess, part of the reason why I was like, I want to know a little bit more about them. Because yeah. I think the script did not differentiate them much. But that's that's really it. The fact that Brian May is even, like, has a name and that he's apparently a great guitarist, not just some oh, guitarist. phenomenal. As far as I I did not but realize that, that from, from this movie. movie. You get yeah. from the movie that they really are drawn along by, by him. So now what? This is when the operatic section comes in. Oh, the operatic section, yeah. I think, like, we're in an interesting middle ground. I think if you're a huge Queen fan, you probably really love the movie or really don't like the movie because you're, you know so much about it that it can't possibly please you. Like, for example, um, there was, like, an eight-and-a-half-hour Grateful Dead documentary that came out. And I'm a pretty accomplished Grateful Dead fan to the point, I would say, of obsession. Mm -hmm. um, like, no, we've heard. So I know a lot about it. And I was really excited for the documentary, but I also knew, like, it's going to have to— it, and, in, and in fact, it shouldn't answer to me. I'm not the fan that it's trying to work for. The fan yeah. it's trying to work for is someone who doesn't really know much about the Grateful Dead and for whom watching this— I would say truncated, but it's eight and a half hours long. But watching this truncated history gives you a lot of information about, like, hey, that's pretty cool. I didn't know yeah. that stuff. Of course, when you're sitting there going, uh, what about the type of keyboard that TC played compared to what Pigpen would play? You know, th that's not for me. And, yeah. and for this, I'm actually probably, and you're probably actually kind of like supposed to be the target audience for Bohemian Rhapsody and that we know Queen. I'm not a Queen fanatic. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you the names of the albums. Let's see, there's the debut with Keep Yourself Alive, Queen 2, Sheer Heart Attack, which that a killer queen on it. Oh, incredible song. Um, Night at the Opera with the movie namesake, Day at the Races, Jazz, The Game, I love that album. Oh wait, News of the World with We Will Rock Use in there somewhere, Flash Gordon soundtrack if you want to consider that, Hot Space, a little dancey. I know the songs, I know the hit songs. So for the movie not to work for us, it's probably why the critics kind of drubbed it. 
Yeah. But the fact that it's still going to probably win the box office this weekend on top of its $50 million opening weekend, it's going to be a big, big hit, which is great. And which, to your point earlier, accomplishes exactly what Brian May and Roger Taylor set out to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. You know, introduce the music to a different generation um, and and be able to go home at night uh, to your wives and children. Yeah. yeah. Without having to explain like, Dad, what's going on with that scene in the hotel room? There's a, definitely an irony to it, considering the the scene that they have with the EMI um, oh, executive, mean- played by Mike Myers. Bohemian <clears throat> Rhapsody. What on earth is it about? It goes on forever, six bloody minutes. Pity your wife if you think six minutes is forever. I thought that cameo was great. What'd you think of that? I thought it was okay. Uh, I read about it afterwards, and I was like, oh, I don't well, know. You got the Myers is just straight Did you get the eating joke? That he uh, played fat bastard in the and he was Scottish. No. no. Then uh, no, I guess I didn't get the in joke. What's the in joke? Um, well, the in joke is that what's the movie Mike Myers is most famous for in his whole career? Austin Powers. No. So I before the next murderer. No. What was the character on Saturday Night Live that first brought Mike Myers to fame and prominence? And what car scene in the movie based on those characters is an iconic comedy movie? Car scene. Wayne's World, dude. Oh, oh wait, yeah, yeah, sure, right. Jesus. You have seen Wayne's World. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, wow. I was a very seen the high school kid. I mean, of Wayne and Garth in the car playing yeah, yeah, Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. Yes, yes, yes. Are yes. you sure? Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite sure of it. Oh, yeah. So that's the whole but point you, of the like, stunt casting is. I get, I no, get all okay. that. But even saying, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. And that is literally all my emotion. I like the way he played it. I thought he played it as a good cameo. Oh, I didn't mean, I was very surprised uh, because I didn't realize that that was him. I thought, I was like, wow, that was a really good performance. He's such a, where has he been? You know, he's a strange person. He's a really strange strange person. person. He's a comedy person who has that darkness to him. I was just reading that, like the last thing before this, he did uh, there was a revival of the Gong Show. Yes, a couple years ago, which he did completely in character. Yes. Do you know what your nickname is in England? No. What? Mr. Hand Sanitizer. (laughs) Mr. Hand Sanitizer. Three pumps and a squirt. Thank you. But it's true. Very meta. And I remember, and I did watch like a commercial for it. And actually the, the makeup was really grotesque. I can see what people you know, weren't going to tune in. It was really a- is a guy who you kind of have to admire for doing exactly what he wants to do. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he had the gong show thing. I, You know, the guru movie. Yeah. Um, there's some strange things in there, but in his heyday- Oh, I still think he's hilarious. And he's and a great actor. I, 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 I like, it was funny to see him in here. Um, but yeah, that's the but, Wayne's oh, World. Yeah. Wayne's World. Like, yeah. w- actually, when Wayne World came out, Queen sold like two million records. After they that. Have, like, it was uh, the second pop. At the end of the the movie, they have a few um, title cards at the end where they yeah. say, like, it was released 16 <laughs> years after it was released for the re-release. And yeah. you know what? I, I was like, oh, even in my mind, I was like, oh, that must have been for Wayne's World. Well, but so, didn't so make the connection. Didn't with, make the connection here. <laughs> yeah, but I did not make the connection with my Okay, wife. the songs. My God. Hey, Matt the Engineer again. To Jason's point about the songs, if you think of them from a compositional standpoint, they incorporated so many classical components into them, different harmonizations, key modulations. Might have trouble tapping your foot to the beat because it changes meter, but it still came across as pop and something you could fully appreciate. The layering of the guitars. This is one guitar player. The vocal layering was insane. It was, it was like you're listening to a full choir. They put the engineer and the tape machines to the test. The hit songs of Queen are almost 
I mean, they're unlike any other major rock act songs. You know, you keep calling them a rock band, and I— Well, they are. They're a rock band. Well, they're so— They're a rock band. There are so many other things as well. I would not but say that they are a rock band. At the band. heart, they are a rock and roll band. Bass, that might be one drums, of the, guitar, lead vocals. I think they are more than a rock band is really well, what I'm getting yes. at. Sure. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you. Really? Because that is exactly- <laughs> Well, no, I, here's, what, here's the thing. It's just rock and roll, man. As the Rolling Stones said, it's only a rock and roll, but I like it. Let's not get carried away trying to elevate rock and roll music- to some place of an exalted brilliance and layered this, that, and the other thing. We're just having a good time well, playing when, songs with our friends. With the Live Aid concert, when watching it, those all seemed more like, and I, you know, I'm not a music person, so they, if my terminology isn't doing it justice, but I think that there's a point here that these were not just like, just fast rock and songs. Other that there was something. I was going. That's the word I was going to use. Yeah. There was something anthemic to the way there he is. delivered it. There is. And there was something also about the lyrics that were very, you know, uh, flag wavy and very sort of positive in a way. The fact that they had as much success as they did while being completely unique to me is one of the interesting takeaways. The good thing about like hitting the 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 signposts or hitting the yeah. notes that you have to hit is for somebody like me who really didn't have much knowledge. I did not realize that they were quite as huge and quite as respected as they were. So then to see them in such a huge space uh, as the, the Wembley Stadium yeah. at the end, to hear them playing music that to me seemed just different from knowing all the other band bands that were mm -hmm. there and still having all sorts of people reacting. That's what my takeaway from the movie was yeah. about Queen as a band, not so much about Freddie Mercury, though, you know, obviously he's an integral part of it, but that they were doing something that was different and people were responding to it. Absolutely. And, and that, uh, also, I mean, it's the right band at the right place at the right time at mm -hmm. the Wembley Stadium concert because you have you have a band and you have these songs that have been around long enough so that every single person in the arena knows all the words yeah. to these songs. And- but then, and again, I watching the real performance at at Live Aid. What's incredible about it is just how freaking good the band is. Mm -hmm. You know, these four guys playing five, if you count the keyboard player, who they don't really show in the telecast. Right. I was blown away by how much they were a quartet of rock and roll musicians mm -hmm. who could make these sounds. Um, I thought it was interesting too that um, did you did you run out of batteries again, Chris? No, I put did you put I fresh put, batteries put, in this time. I or put freshies in. I could go back to this damn battery. Issue I'm just again. look. I just it's not going to run out, and okay. I wanted to make sure that I All did right. hit record, which I, I check every five three minutes. times. I, you, you three times during this brief recording. I you've don't checked. trust myself. You seem like a very capable, competent person to me. That's because I keep. I are you not check? Are everything. you not actually capable and competent in well, everyday life? I mean, depends. Depends. You know, like if I check and double check, double check? and recheck and. Triple check and so, you, so like if you're leaving your apartment in the morning, are you one of those guys that has to like you leave, you close the door, you lock the door, but then you unlock the door, go back in because maybe sometimes, I left the stove on yeah, or the shower running or forgot to put clothes on. Uh, not usually the last one, but uh, but sometimes. Yes. Yeah, sometimes. Did you know that in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody for the singing that they mixed Malik's voice with both Mercury's and another Canadian yeah. singer who's a Freddie Mercury sound alike? Yes. Freddie Mercury. Freddie that Mercury, would be a great Freddie Mercury. Freddie uh, Mercury. Like. like a blown out Freddie Mercury. Uh, we are the champions. <laughs> I was curious about the singing because I didn't know if in the movie was, was it all just Freddie Mercury's vocals that, yeah. that Rami Malek was lip syncing to or was he singing and it was a combination? 
Yeah. Uh, and Rami Malek, they made a big deal about how much he did physical training to sort of move yes. like him. The most interesting thing about this movie is the fact that that much effort in went into the detail of his physical movement. The, sure. effect, the amount of effort that went into recreating that Live Aid concert, including Amazing. having somebody have a banner that says, we love you too. You mean you too, the band? The, there was somebody yeah. who had like a banner up. Well, sure. They recreated the positioning of the banners in the crowd. They actually recreated- yeah, yes, But that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that, the, that amount of detail sure. to go into this, all of that is fascinating. Wait, wait, to, let me give you another piece of mind-blowing detail. The piano, the cups of beer and Pepsi Cola are arranged exactly as they are I in that. the actual telecast. It's a slavish recreation yeah. that's amazing. I don't want to sound churlish, but like uh, it does make me wonder sort of to what end? Well, I think this is a good segue into what went wrong allegedly with Brian Singer and yeah. the studio because it's impossible that that didn't have some negative consequence and impact. From what I've read, you know, Singer's alleged erratic behavior on movie sets goes back quite a way. Here's a little quote from The Hollywood Reporter for those people who didn't follow this part of the story. A Hollywood Reporter says, quote, reports of Singer's erratic behavior on set go back more than a decade, but Fox, the studio, lived through some of the worst on 2016's X-Men Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. While Singer, 53, had some good moments, one insider says he was, quote, emotionally very frail, end quote, often unprepared and late to set. If challenged about his behavior, he sometimes cried. Meanwhile, there were the usual distractions, this source says. Singer had visitors constantly coming and going, quote, people flying in out of town, put up in hotels, all on his own dime. Mm -hmm. Given all that, this person adds, quote, I was kind of shocked when they went forward with Rhapsody. How many at-bats do you get? Uh, further in The Hollywood Reporter, Fox chairperson Stacy Snyder had reservations based on what she'd heard about Singer's behavior on X-Men Apocalypse and other projects. And before approving the deal, she and studio vice chairman Emma Watts sat down for a talk with Singer and the producer, Graham King, according to multiple sources. Snyder didn't mince words. She told Singer, don't break the law, show up to work every day, failure to comply will bang, bring consequences. Mm -hmm. And there were consequences. He was fired with two weeks left to go. Director of photography had to take over and shoot. There was some sturm und drang, as you would say, Chris, mm -hmm. which had to have some ultimate impact on the finished product, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Actually, because I, I was reading a, a quote from, I think it was Derek Fletcher, who finished the last two weeks of shooting. Yes. I know the director of photography, somebody who had worked with Singer quite a bit, mm -hmm. took over at first, but then they ultimately put on Derek Fletcher, who for some reason had actually been a, a prior. This is, I you know, like with alternate casting, all of yes. the- Pre, uh, Wasn't he uh, supposed to direct the movie I was going to say, in yeah. a previous incarnation, he right. was supposed to direct it. So he's one who ended up uh, taking over, but I think he even said, he was like, it was pretty much done. Mm -hmm. uh, not just the filming, but like they had been editing enough that there was a shape to it. He knew what Brian Singer was going for. Mm -hmm. So I do think this is probably pretty darn close to uh, Brian Singer's vision. And But like I said, I, I, I just wonder about what that, vision it was. was. <laughs> well, because it's a fair question. It remains entertaining in its in its own sort of unambitious way mm. uh, that I th almost anybody could have done. Brian Singer, for whatever difficulties he has had yeah. professionally, personally. Or he may have some, in the near future. Have, Apparently there's a big Esquire they, expose coming out. Did you read about well, look, that? I'm, but I mean, I've been reading about the allegations against for him years, for, yes. for years. Yeah. Um, but, but all of that is maybe like, he is not a director who is without vision I, I have found in, in other things. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, aren't we living 
in when we talk about Brian Singer, aren't we living a little off a truly great movie from 1995? That was Usual Suspects. Like that's the movie that put fine movie. What? You don't like the Usual Suspect. You didn't I think, think that overrated. was a good movie. I thought, it's okay, huh? I thought the the twist was a little underwhelming. That uh, was a good twist. It got me. Uh, spoiler for 1995's. Uh, oh, that was actually a criticism that I got about the podcast. They're like, I really wish what, you had spoiled a movie. Spoiled the Star Is Born. Ah, well, you know what? Like you shouldn't have, you shouldn't it's have been out for. <laughs> Here's my thing with spoilers. If the if we're in the first week of a movie's release, I would be careful about spoilers. If we're in week two or beyond, eh. Oh gosh! I, uh, well, also, I don't know. I haven't seen any other version of A Star Is Born. Does Chris Christopherson? I, no, I assume that that's which is, I guess, uh, as well as probably with all of the A Star Is Borns. So, um, well, I, this is this brings up an interesting thing. When you go to a movie, like my wife is like this, she does not want to read everything there is to read about a movie before she goes and sees it. I'm the opposite. If I'm going to go to see a movie, I have read a lot of reviews from trusted sources. I've checked Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, both on the review side and the fan side. I've, I've, I've usually done some reading about the production or about other aspects of the movie so that I, I don't, it doesn't bother me to know everything I can learn about a movie and then go see the movie. What are you like? I think I'm probably more like your, your wife in that because even reading the I've rev- often thought that about you. <laughs> Which I'll take as flattering. Full cast and crew is brought to you by... Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. Like even reading about this, first of all, a lot of the reviewers will, I was, I'm always surprised at how uh, slapdash they are in terms of the detail and getting details mm. wrong as if, you know, and well, I when you say reviewers, you're talking about established, legitimate yeah. tel- uh, newspaper and magazine yeah. reviewers. Okay. We'll get like, you know, for example, in the case of this, well, you can't really be angry at a reviewer getting a detail wrong in a movie that completely fudges the timeline of a guy's life. Well, I mean, the movie gets it wrong. Well, like, for, hang on. For supposedly well, dramatic no, purposes. The, the movie but it's takes liberties for dramatic purposes. Well, it takes liberties. But, Listen, it invents I, I an alternative reality. But it's telling a story. Yeah, but, but there's it's a real story. story it's the, but it's the story of a guy's it, real you're life. To be responding, you're supposed to be responding to the art as it is up on the, the if screen. If you're the reviewer? Yeah. But I do think that sometimes these details, especially the one that I'm thinking of specifically, when, um, spoiler for <laughs> Bolivian Spoiler Rhapsody. alert, Freddie Mercury dies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so he asks uh, the woman, Mary, to marry yes. him. Mar- is her, yeah, her name's Mary. Mary, marry me. Mary, marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me. But then when they have the the dissolution of their engagement, yes. because he, he, he said, yes, she says, I want to hear you say it. He says, I think I'm bisexual. He says, Freddie, you're gay. Right. Th- this is an important scene in the film. And I was reading a review that was saying when he says, she, when she says he's gay, he corrects her and says he's bisexual. Mm. Which is factually this is nitpicky to me. This, this is I what, don't think it's nitpicky God. because the whole point of the dynamic between them is I her, feel bad for your future child's <laughs> homework correction sessions at the kitchen table. It's just as easy to get these things right as it is to get them wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just shocked that you're more bothered by that than a movie that says a, uh, that the lead character had an AIDS diagnosis two years prior to when he actually did and uses that 
AIDS diagnosis to emotionally manipulate you as an audience member into imbuing the Live Aid performance with more emotion than it otherwise would have, which when, by the way, if you just watch it on its own, it's a triumphant moment of rock and roll success. I agree. I And I think it would have been much more interesting if this was about them coming together and being able to play together again. Yeah. Oh, which by their- the way, they hadn't broken up prior to Live Aid. Oh, they were already back that? together. They had an album that came out like a month before the Live Aid well, performance. Brian May had two solo albums already before. Roger Taylor yeah, had a solo album. There wasn't, this, this stuff is all fabricated. My point is, is like, I don't know why when you have the real story, why can't you make a good enough film out of the real story? Why do you have to- I don't know. Move I mean, all the shit around. Presumably, you see a different story in it. And there's no, no, no. A there is only one story. It's well, the no, real story. No, no, of course yes. not. No. There's only one story. What is that story? The story is the story of the band and the story of the relationship between the guys in the band mm-hmm. and the story of their own experiences- in the limelight, in the band, sure. with fame, with success, with excess. But Freddie's story within that is different than Brian's story within that. Sure. Versus a story that is about the band as a whole, where you're seeing all of them. Right. So but the director the makes an interpretation, makes an interpretational choice to focus on certain elements. I, I don't have a problem of focusing on certain elements. I have a problem with fabricating a timeline. I have a problem with telling me that Freddie Mercury learned of an AIDS diagnosis in 1985, when in fact he didn't learn about it until two years after Live Aid in 1987. I have a problem with that. There's no need to do that. Well, the need to do that is presumably, like you said, to have the performance have a different kind of emotional resonance. But then it's bullshit. Then it's fake. Then why make this, why make the Queens, why take on the storytelling and I agree with you because I because I actually don't didn't know a lot of that stuff. I think I had read mm-hmm. about a couple other things like the fact that his diagnosis he didn't have mm-hmm. until I, and I'm like, yeah, I, I wonder why they cha- rather I understand why they changed it because they wanted to give that a, emotional heft. I don't know. I think they could have done it without that. I you know, but it, it doesn't bother me. Mm. I, that bothers me. I mean, I think it might bother me more if I was more interested in Queen. Here's why it bothers me. It bothers me because when you take someone like Freddie Mercury and you take a band like Queen, they deserve better. They, if you're going to make the movie, okay? And to date, this is the Queen movie. Yeah. If you're going to make that movie, then you better fucking make a good one because the band and Freddie deserve that. Now, what happened here, through some combination, and I think the conventional wisdom prior to the movie coming out was, uh-oh, they had to fire the director, it's going to be bad, um, et cetera, et cetera, Then you come to find out when you start reading a little bit more about it, maybe it's, you know, Brian Brian May and Roger Taylor kind of exerting some influence behind the scenes to shepherd a version of their story to the screen that they were very comfortable with in the manner that you succinctly described earlier. They almost put themselves out of it. This is less about Queen and more about Freddie Mercury. And if it's going to be more about Freddie Mercury, and I guarantee you this is the movie that Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to make. If it's going to be more about Freddie Mercury, then the reality of Freddie's actual life is going to have been much more compelling, much more layered, much more interesting Mm -hmm. than, to your earlier point, this sketch pad version of him. And what I'm saying is he's so unique and amazing that he deserves the former instead of this movie. You could also say, ironically... It's 
going to put a lot more money in the Queen coffers and benefit Freddie and benefit yeah. Freddie's charities and all the things that he probably continues to do good with uh, even after his death. I know he has a very successful AIDS foundation. Mm-hmm. So the movie is going to work. The movie is going to do what they wanted it to do, and it's going to avoid telling some of the tales out of school that you can find elsewhere online about all of these guys and about Freddie Mercury. It's just disappointing that you didn't get something like some of the rock biopics that have gotten things right in the past. Sure, and I hear all of that, but I guess just philosophically, the idea of anytime you tell a story like this, anytime somebody moves from being an actual human being to a memory or a symbol, Mm -hmm. uh, he became a symbol in this movie, a symbol of like, it's tough when you feel like an outcast, but trust in yourself and believe in yourself. It becomes reduced. And I think that's- I'm not interested in the reduction. I'd rather have all the messy, complicated- No, I, and I hear you, but I, but I think that that's, that's all, that is, that's what history is too. As time goes on, certain things will rise to the surface and certain things will just be burned away. Can we agree that Queen deserved a better movie? I guess. Can we agree that Freddie Mercury deserved a better movie? I guess. You know, my only hesitation is when you say like things like deserved. Sure. Because yeah, he's that unique and fascinating a person. I guess. I don't know. What do you mean you that, guess? Because I don't even know Listen that he's the guy that unique. Or, yeah, he sounds good. He sounds he good. Sounds good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Are you serious right now? I mean, I, yeah, I might sounds be exaggerating good. You're being a hyperbolic. Bit. I would not go past good. Uh, good? Man, I- Oh, so you just hear people that have a voice like Freddie Mercury in your everyday life. It doesn't strike you as superlative. Yeah. You could just dash off Bohemian Rhapsody at home in an afternoon by yourself. You could sing in a three octave range. I don't want, listen, I don't want to. You don't want to compare While the lawyers are still dealing with it, I don't want to say whether I did or didn't write Bohemian Rhapsody. No, dude. I'm going to throw you some names of some good rock biopics. And I want to ask you if you've, not only if you've seen these. I mean, probably not because it's 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 a genre that I I know you're a little skittish about the seeing things. Um, uh, I'm Not There. Have you seen that? The Bob Dylan biopic yeah, by Todd Haynes. You mm-hmm. saw that. Yeah. Now, as Despite you know- Despite it being about a musician. Interesting take on a biopic was not having one actor do essentially an impersonation of the iconic figure, but to in, do what Todd Haynes did and use a whole variety of people, including a little boy, a woman, a man, different people of different ages, different yeah. races to portray. If I'm remembering right, though, it also is not really about his life. Like, I think it's a fictionalized version of him. He- in a very different way, but similar to Freddie Mercury in this, is it's more about the idea of what Bob Dylan yes. is and was at different times. And each of those, Christian Bale, Cape uh, Blanchett, yes. um, Ben Whishaw. Richard Gere was one of them? Yeah. Uh, they all play sort of him, not, not yes. indifferent. But my point is, is that in totality, the film gets at the mystery and the depth and the importance of Bob Dylan in a way that a linear biopic never could. And as such, yeah. it thus works much more successfully than something like The Doors, mm-hmm. you know, which is like a cartoon book about The which Doors. Which is, a lot, I mean, it's a lot like this. The Doors is very much like this, yeah. actually. It features an incredible, charismatic, central, committed, physical, lead vocal, performance and somebody lead who looks kind of like him. By someone who looks kind of like him. And it features kind of a silly whole bunch of bullshit that surrounds it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how about, um, have you seen either of these two Beatle biopics? Have you seen Nowhere Boy? No. Okay. What's interesting about Nowhere Boy, which is this 2009 movie by Sam Taylor Wood, mm-hmm. is that rather than try to tell the story of John Lennon, it focuses on his teenage years, mm-hmm. okay? And as such, it doesn't bite off more than it can chew. Mm-hmm. It's It's using- 
a microcosm in order to explicate the larger man. Sort of like uh, Lincoln. I, yeah, although talk, I mean. Look at, to just use a discrete yes, sort yes, of moment yes, in it time does, it does, as yes. a stand in for the, yes. for the, for the person. Unfortunately, I, w- I, I, I wish I could say I liked Lincoln. <sighs> I'm sure you Now, Backbeat is another great Beatles biopic. Have you seen Backbeat? Yeah, it's okay. Jesus. But I mean, it was with Backbeat. Yeah. There, there were some interesting things about Backbeat. One, the fact that it focused on guy number five. Yes, yeah, Stu Sutcliffe. And the fact that it was before they were successful. Yes. All of those things. Those are smart choices and when you're making even, a biopic. I wouldn't even call them biopics. Because well, they are. They're biopics. <laughs> I, and I would say that they aren't. Certainly, uh, I'm Not There is not a biopic. I was being very generous. But with this case, oh, absolutely these are like is. finding stories that, sure, it's based on a true story, but it's not about their whole biography. And I think the well, phrase biopic implies that it is about the whole person. Let I, me continue with my list so that you don't disprove my point. <laughs> uh, Buddy Holly story. Have you seen that? Gary Busey's no. lead performance? Great. <laughs> I did. Selena is a great biopic. Have you seen Selena no, starring seen Jennifer Selena. Lopez? Um, there's a lot of actually good jazz biopics. Bird, Round Midnight. Those are great. Uh, Coal Miner's Daughter in another genre, country music. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that that was actually about a real, about a- Are you serious a, right a now? music person. Oh. I thought it was about, a, I thought it was just like about- uh, You thought it was about a coal miner's daughter. Yeah, well, yeah. I thought it was like a labor movie. I thought it was like Norma Ray. Yeah, okay. The sure. labor movie. Got it. How about Walk the Line, Johnny Cash? Did yeah. you see that? No. You didn't see that? Mm-hmm. That's a really good movie. You like that director too. Yeah, I do like him. The, this is what I bring to it. Like, I already knew like, okay, this is going to be a thing. He's going to start playing music. He has talent. Get, get on drugs. He's going to get off drugs. He's got the wife. I got one more for that. you. Control. Did you see that about Joy Division? No, That's that would have been a movie. You would love that movie. Yeah. You should see that. Yeah. Anton Cor- Corbin. 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 That's, a, that's just a really good movie. Yeah. Which I think is one of the pitfalls or the travails of staking out the biopic as a thing. If the person is too famous, then the imperson- the required impersonation gets in the way of the movie. And- If they're if not the- famous enough, who cares? Right. No, wow, but- this is a good example of Ian Curtis, Joy Division, maybe just famous enough- and enigmatic enough where, and also it's a very specific subgenre, specific time in music, and the story fits this director's style of photography, mm-hmm. the black and whiteness of it. The movie is filmed in black and white. It's a great match of a director and a subject matter. Biopics, I, listen, it's treacherous ground. I well, get Well, here, it. let me just to do a counterexample to go back to the idea of what does a story mean or how mm. you tell it. How changes. does a poem mean, Chris? Well, <laughs> how you tell it changes the story. Did you see the King's Speech? Sure. Which is related to this in as much as Tom Hopper uh, was one of the yeah. directors that Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to direct it. Mm-hmm. Now, do you remember when it came out and uh, one of the criticisms were like, wow, they're really kind of whitewashing the whole- Nazi like, thing? Nazi thing. <laughs> well, he wasn't the Nazi, was he? The stutterer? Uh, no, it was his brother was the Nazi. I think, right, I think yeah. it's his brother. He's the lovable father portrayed in The Crown by Jared Harris. No, Jared, no, the stutterer is in, in The King's Speech is the same character portrayed by Jared right. Harris in The Crown. Have you seen The Crown? No. Jesus. <laughs> Every time you ask me this. I'm going to keep asking. I know, and you know, oh, and another thing, have I was you like, seen, I'm surprised you haven't asked about The Queen yet, which have, I still haven't seen. Have you because seen- Because that guy, the direct, the, was also supposed to do the screenplay right. play for this. Yes. Have you seen The Haunting of Hill House? No, but that that I'd like to that I'm interested in. Seeing. I just watched episode five last night. No spoilers. I'm not going to spoil oh, it, but please watch back. that, Chris. Um, what your wife was right about 
Besides everything. I mean, um, not that she's listening, but she's right about everything all the time. The thing about spoilers to me, plot spoilers are less worrisome than somebody saying like, oh, you're going to react such and such a way to this. You're going to be blown away by this, or this is bad, or this, you know, mm-hmm. then I, I can't help but sort of look at that when I'm going in. So I actually don't like to read reviews mm. beforehand. I mean, like Pacific Rim looked awesome. And no matter what a reviewer would have said, it would have still looked awesome. Really? Yeah, I love no. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim? Yeah, it's great. Isn't it like a Michael Bay movie? It's Guillermo del Toro. Oh, it's like with the giant robots that come out of the robots ocean. Robots funny monsters. Anyway. Not interested. Uh, but wait, but getting back to the King's speech. So the, yeah, because we haven't that, talked about that enough. There was that criticism about like- About what? Throwing out the Nazi stuff. And wait, 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 but again, it's not about the brother who was the Nazi. He was certainly a character in it. Uh, that's fair enough. Okay. And, right. and the stutter- King John, King James, King no, Richard. King uh, Edward. Ed- King, no, Edward, sure, was, Edward. Edward, Edward, was, was, Edward was the Nazi. Got it. So King Sam or whatever his name is. King George. King George. King George of is the stutterer. King, King Edward. George's speech. King King Edward. I mean, um, you look. Know what I'm so the the story, for better or for worse, of the King's King speech Edward. becomes sort of reduced to again, like you're you going to get notes. Too over. much talk about King's speech. I mean, I'm just trying to shepherd <laughs> things along here. Really? Are you sure? Because okay. it feels more like you're putting barriers. Well, yeah. Sometimes around. I have to put a barrier in front of where you want to go. In order to corral you to if a you more just let productive go- pasture. It's that's funny, that's funny how you sh- <laughs> that's how you shepherd. That's how I'd been thinking of it through <laughs> all our recording that's, sessions. I guess how we both. No, listen. You know what? All enough? that I wanted to say is that that. Oh my God! You said it. Enough. I don't want to hear anything else about King's was Speech. The, I get it. Chose to do yes, a specific kind of story the thing. that they and they yes, left out it. certain bits, and I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. Um, no, you know what's a great biopic? Amadeus. Never seen. Tell it. me, <laughs> are you serious? No. Oh man, I would like Tom to. Hulse, Peter Schaffer wrote it. <sighs> Look, knowing about it doesn't excuse not seeing it. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can put How it together. Have you not I'm seen sure. that? This is okay. To Casey's point, it's it, you're gonna have to take care of some of this, Chris. All right. Well, you know that's what this whole podcast was about. That's why I wanted to do <laughs> Light Sleeper and a League of Their Own. It's you know it was to. To sort of pick up on things that I that I had missed when watching, wow. you know, horror movies and stuff. You never saw Amadeus. Uh-uh. I guess when I was coming up in my teenage years, in my twenties, like if there was a great movie like Amadeus, you saw it. Mm-hmm. There was less to see. There was less to do. You know, we didn't have all your newfangled toys and your at, computer yeah. handheld devices, Chris. Well, look, and my my we parents to make were not going to the movies like a lot. I think oh, that was spare also spare me thing. your broken childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Six-year-old Jason's like, oh, I, I hear Amadeus is supposed to be great. <laughs> yeah, allow me to I hop said, on my tricycle. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about Bohemian Rhapsody? Not really. No, I got plenty because uh, I do want to talk about some of the other members of the cast. Oh, I want to talk about Joe Mazzello. Joe Mazzello played John Deacon, the <laughs> bass player. He was great. He was great. And you know what? When I look Joe Mazzello up. Um, he's been great in small parts like this in a bunch of movies, and I predict big things for Joe Mazzello. What else has he been in that he was so great? I'm going to tell you, Chris, once I can I got it. call yeah, up maybe, the- I can, maybe I can help. <laughs> oh, G.I. Joe Retaliation. You probably I'm saw sure that. He was great in that. Uh, no, 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 I'm not talking about one. He played Duskin, Dustin Moskovitz in The Social Network. You know, it's a big movie stuffed with a lot of parts, but yeah. I remember him being really good in that brief part in the movie. Um, yeah, but sorry, what does he do in this? Dustin Moskovitz is one of the founders of Facebook alongside Zuckerberg and the the Winklevi. And yeah. he's in the whole kind of Sean Parker 
vibe. Of, but he's like a contemporary. He's a of, contemporary of Zuckerberg. Of Zuckerberg. Uh, I just remember him being whoever. And again, I didn't know who the actor was at mm-hmm. that time. He was really good in that. Uh, that's the only one that I can cite. Okay, so when you said a lot of things, oh, you meant one. Well, have you seen In the Loop, Armando? Yes, Yenichi. I did see it. Tom Hollander, who played yes. Miami Beach. Yes, that's right. Was also in that. Well, Tom Hollander's been in a ton of things. Sure, like uh, with one of which I saw, which was In the Loop. <laughs> sure, one of which I saw. <laughs> um, no, I mean, all the guys, the Tom Hollanders, there's the guy from Downton Abbey, Aiden Game Gillen. Game of Thrones, Aiden Gillen, yeah. Littlefinger from, uh, from Game of Thrones. I've never seen Game of Thrones. It's fine. It's okay. I thought Aaron McCusker did a really good job as Jim. Which Freddie's boyfriend at the very end of the movie. The boyfriend at the end. Yeah, you know that this guy was very good as a. You know that was another thing. Reading the title cards at the end, you realize that you know they had a seven-year-long relationship after Mm -hmm. the 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 uh, the, um, action of the movie. I mean, they could have eliminated Aaron McCusker completely as if they were going to do it in the way with the live eight as the. um, I get it. I get the, the the climax of it. Yeah. Including this, it seemed like too much and not enough at the same time. Didn't you think it was great how in the live concert sequences, they were true to the fact that Brian May played with a wall of Vox AC-30s? Eh, no. I, actually, I thought that was a bad choice. Did you like, <laughs> I, did you, were you upset by the fact that they didn't include any shots of the signature Dallas Rangemaster treble booster or the DC which is a transistor-based amplifier built by the bassist John Deacon. No, no. Which, although it only had an output of around one watt. No, what bothered me more was the fact that uh, I'm in love with my car. Yes. That that's a that that's Great real. song. I thought that that was a joke of I, like a thing I actually that he was never totally wrote on anything. the Mike Myers character side during that discussion. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Guys, let's go with I'm in love with my car. That will pave the way for this six-minute single. Um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Rami Malek. Uh, okay. Who was not only really good, you know, I did do an episode of Mr. Robot. Oh, you did? What? Now you bring this up now, right? When we're uh, wait, forgive uh, me. an hour in? <laughs> hour and a half in? I mean, Jesus, talk about burying the lead. Um, I did the season premiere of season two. Okay. And, and so there was a there was a character who he was not gonna be doing the show anymore. He was gonna do a different show. This guy, have you ever watched the show? No. So he You haven't <laughs> His boss. You're saying like, the character you're playing wasn't going to be in the series so, anymore, or Rami Malek wasn't going to be no, in the series a, anymore? No, there was a, the bo- Rami Malek's boss, he works at like a job while he's doing right. his anarchy. Spoiler for Mr. Robot. Spoiler alert, yeah. He's an anarchist who takes down the world. Anarchist hacker. But he has a day job at such and such a place. Sure. His boss at such and such a place. So, so you were playing the boss. No. <laughs> you, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You were going to be the this. boss. I, trust me. I, if it were up to me, I would have been. However. Did you have any lines? I did. Oh, okay. Did you have any scenes with Rami Malek? No. Did you ever see Rami Malek? Mm-mm. Did you have your name written on masking tape on a door? A code name. Oh, right. How they do that. Like, yeah. so they were, you were filming on location in New York yes. somewhere. Yeah, at a bar so I know, in So Brooklyn for people who don't know, they sometimes pull up the little, um, what do they call them? Trailers. Trailers. And they'll have four or five doors. And because you obviously can't write, you know, uh, Brad Pitt, Rami Malek. Chris Kapiniak, otherwise, <laughs> my God, the crowds. Okay, did you have wardrobe? I did have wardrobe. Yeah, yeah you don't have to bring your own- You don't have to bring your own clothes. You don't bring your own clothes. This, this is a, we're talking a real Down to television your own underwear show. and socks, or do you have to wear that too? Um, do you recall? I think they provide those. They Seriously? Provide those. Yeah. Underwear? Maybe not underwear, but an undershirt. What about shoes? Shoes that provide you, yeah. Hmm. It's all part of the look. The costume designer was, wants to pick everything, and you go in for a fitting, and they try on different things. 
Michael, I think the name of the character is. Wait, so let me ask you a question. When they, when they the flash. The name of the character of this guy, uh, Gideon. Ah, so it's a, bibli- it's a biblical it. allegory. No, no, no. Gideon, you don't just name a guy Gideon, Chris. I, I, you do, you I do. see what they're I got after. a friend who's not I mean, they could have called Gideon, him Frank. They could have. They could have. Why they chose Angel? Not to- isn't that the name of? Um, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the name of, of the of, char- which- of the character played by Roy Scheider in uh, the movie Let's that check. I like very much? Jaws. No. All the, the, oh, uh, all that jazz. Isn't his name Gideon? Gideon. His name is something. Gideon Angel or <laughs> Bob Gideon. I think it's Bob. It's definitely Gideon. <laughs> Right? I like the name Gideon Angel. Gideon, I think it's Gideon Angel. I think that's, I'm going to. I think a private detective I think comic Gide- about Gideon Angel. Joe Gideon. Joe Gideon. Not to be that's confused an with Joan Didion. That's a ga- That's an allegory. No, it's yeah. It's a name. No, it's ascribing to him celestial biblical proportions. He's an angel. So. He's an angel. Anyway, first of all, is Gideon an angel? Yes. Gideon, blow your horn. <laughs> right? It's Gabriel. Oh well, Gideon's He's, in the Bible too. Uh, let's see. Or Gideon was a military leader, judge, and prophet whose calling and victory over the Midian And choreographer. Are <laughs> recounted in chapter six to eight of the book of Judges in the Hebrew Bible. Mm. Well, that was a fantastic anecdote about you not knowing, w- appearing in, with, or talking to <laughs> Rami Malek. Thank you for that. Thanks. I've got plenty of anecdotes. Right? If, you have, if, you have, if you have any anecdotes- Meet or speak to. Well, there you have it, Chris. I think that pretty much closes the door on- our take on Bohemian Rhapsody. On this Bohemian is the Rhapsody end part itself. that we were requested to include. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already. So you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at full cast and crew, or find us on Facebook.